declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be respected as a human being, to be given the rights of a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary. All right, welcome to the first episode of From the Outside, the revived podcast uh, featuring uh, myself, Greg, and Adam. Yeah. So, all right, for, uh, we recognize that we, we have some listeners of old from our original podcast, which was called District Cycling. Uh, and then we may have some new ones. So I think this is, I think it's worth a recap here on, uh, how this came about. Um, I, Adam, I'm gonna let you lead this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you're probably better at telling the story than I am. Well, well, let's see if our stories match up. Okay. So, um, I believe we met each other back in 2008 ish, 2007, 2008 mm-hmm. time period. Um, and uh, you had had the blog going for a little while. So districtcycling.com, mm. you were doing some race reports. Uh, you were, um, uh, I think you had some interviews going as well. Um, and we met at the local bike shop in Arlington. Mm-hmm. Was it at the Johan Bernil book signing? Yep. I have pictures too. <laughs> oh man, that was, whoa, what a throwback. Anyways, a <laughs> different time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, we met there. We chatted a bit. Then I think we met up and maybe did a couple of rides. And then you threw out the idea of the podcast. Um, and, you know, before I know it, I remember we recorded the first one in your kitchen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at your place. And uh, just kind of took off from there. Um, eventually, we had guests. Uh, Mike Creed joined in a lot later, um, and uh, yeah, we kept it going as long as we could. Yeah, um, well, and and I think we uh, we became friends um, based on sort of our cycling nerd, uh, <laughs> like our love of cycling. But really, it's like cycling nerd uh, yeah. whole culture there. Um, and and honestly, like I thought, I always felt like that. Uh, like we were having good conversations. So it's like, we can record those and there was enough races that would come into town. So uh, get some press passes and then hook up with some uh, pros and some pro tour guys and some Olympian guys. And this was when a lot of the pro tour, like the American pro tour teams uh, for cycling were um, dabbling in like the little one day uh, exhibition style races on the East coast um, and that's how we met Mike and, uh, we interviewed Rashad Bahati and like the whole Garmin slipstream like group and yeah. And, um, yeah, I think I, I, I don't remember. I mean, there, that was really the only, uh, that was really the only connection is like you, you were, you did the discovery channel documentary where you won yep. that contest, which was amazing. Yep. And, uh, and then we, yeah, Johan Brunil. And for those of you that don't know, because um, uh, this is focused a lot on outside and not 
we have some we have some cycling focus here but johan Bernil was the uh director sportif uh for lance armstrong's uh team like in the the first uh version of you know lance armstrong's time in uh the tour de france and yeah that was a whole weird time too so (laughs) yeah no for sure but i I, you know we definitely connected over kind of like the nerd nerding out over the sport but also um you know we just liked riding together and Mm -hmm. we were racing and um you know the race scene the you know the road scene here on the east coast um i thought at the time was pretty uh was was fun like and it, it felt inclusive like i didn't feel like an outsider or anything like that here on the you know here where we are and i think that i know that that's not the case for everyone right Mm -hmm. i think that we were lucky in that sense um and kind of the way that we were introduced to the sport so yeah um dc's an interesting space because um there's an entire sort of uh subset of the cycling world that is uh inherently uh, black and Uh, there's a whole race series up in Greenbelt that uh, is super cool, man. And uh, there's a lot of dudes that just tear your legs off up that way. <laughs> so I always, and I always appreciated that. I always thought that was a lot of fun. Um, and so we did it for about two years, kind of, I, I was floundering at the end uh, because when the recession hit, um, it hit my household pretty hard and I was trying to still do the podcast. I was trying to still race and maintain my bike of which of course also takes money. Um, but I was also trying to keep my household afloat. And then I eventually just, I bailed out, uh, because I just, it was too much and we were just really struggling. Yeah, that was, um, you know, and it's kind of like, I, we didn't have an official end to the podcast. Mm-mm. You know, like, I, I don't even remember the last episode, but I kind of think that the way that we, you know, the way that we did the show, um, it kind of felt like that was the right way that if we were going to end it. That was the way it was going to end, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that time, I mean, for me, that was before kids, like most of the podcast, I think mm-hmm. we did a few after I had kids. And so that was kind of an interesting transition. Um, and you know, that I think our podcast is definitely for me, like the disrecycling podcast was a bookmark in my life because, uh, 2010, my dad died in a car accident and it happened on the night that we recorded. Like, I'll never forget that, you know, like we had forget, we, we recorded that night. Um, I went to bed, got a call from my sister and it was just terrible. Um, but you know, our podcast was you know, going from that time forward was always something that I look forward to. Um, and our listeners were awesome and just really supportive through all that. So, um, yeah, we shared a lot there. So recently you were on, um, the crosshairs, uh, podcast, which is, um, crosshairs is a local, uh, cyclocross team mm-hmm. on the East coast, um, which you've had a relationship with them for a long time. Yeah. Um, and they said something on there that that struck me uh, for the advertising, which was um, that they kind of listed you as like a pioneer within cycling podcasts, 
mm-hmm. um, because at the time we did the podcast, there was uh, like maybe two, including us. Uh, I know yeah. there was like the Fred podcast, uh, which was out of Utah. Yeah. And there might've been one other one, but I can't remember. Come on, Greg, Greg, <laughs> you're forgetting our, our, our nemesis <laughs> bicycle radio, man. You don't remember That's those right. Guys? Yeah. That's right. I remember. We had that. a nice, we had a nice little clash going back and forth. Um, Twitter, Twitter wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, uh, they were fun to kind of battle against. But yeah, no, it was, man, it was a small, small pond. Like there, you know, um, there were, there weren't a lot of us out there doing it. Yeah, and and um, yeah. So the, I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff happening, and so that struck me. And then I was riding. This was a few weeks ago, um, and I was out riding. And uh, of course, we're in the middle of um, this national discussion and protests uh, around Black Lives. And um, there's a lot of conversations happening that I think is incredibly interesting. And for some reason, I was like thinking about our podcast. And I was thinking about you doing the, the cross lines piece. And, um, and, and I don't know why it never dawned on me, but uh, I am an indigenous person and uh, you are a black man. And that never really came up in the podcast, but suddenly seems incredibly relevant, incredibly relevant right now. Um, So I pitched this idea to you and, uh, and to our, uh, our producer, James, this idea that we could talk not just about cycling, but that we could talk about um, we could talk about the outdoor industry uh, in its many different tiers and subcultures um, and what it's like to be uh, black and brown in uh, the outdoor industry, which is overwhelmingly white. Yeah. Um, and I think too, that, you know, uh, for, for people that are just listening to this, that are just joining this um, we're, we're setting out to have uh, some fun with this, but we're also setting out to have some difficult conversations. And I don't think that we need to mince words because these are the discussions that we're having um and uh this is from our perspective and we're suddenly in a place where i think that um, our voices can be heard a little bit better than they would have been even 10 15 years ago yeah yeah definitely i mean our timing couldn't be better greg i mean we picked this back up in the middle of a pandemic right like i mean that that but yeah no when you reached out i mean my my response was like yo let's let's do it like i mean you hit it on the nose the timing is right um lots of people are you know home or you know out of work or you know looking for you know um, places to kind of direct their attention and i think we've got a good platform here to to hit on some things that people have been thinking about for a long time but there may not have been the space for uh, folks to kind of have the dialogue. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to, I think most with this podcast is, is learning a lot more, you know? Um, and I've kind of found through our friendship, you know, my own feelings about indigenous rights has changed. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's grown exponentially. Right. I think before we met each other, you know, I, I mean, my, my understanding of the plight of indigenous people in this country was very limited, right? Because I didn't have, I didn't have any indigenous friends. I didn't have like those personal connections. And I think since we've become friends, you know, it's, uh, I just think it's a lot easier for people to really invest themselves in an issue when they have a personal connection. 
mm. you know, and um, I'm hoping that through this podcast, we can make some connections with people and, you know, they can start to understand the issues that we're talking about. And when they're out talking to their friends or their peers, they can kind of connect back to maybe some of the things that we're talking about, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, that guy, I know Adam, you know. Um, so yeah, that, that is something that I'm looking forward to with the podcast. I am likewise looking forward to that. Um, you know, I think, um, I've engaged, uh, a, a number of different aspects of black culture enough to, uh, believe that I understand, but I don't, uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not black. There are things that happen that I think intersect really well between indigenous people and black people. Yeah. Um, but there are areas that I have, I have no clue, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, there are some deep seated and systemic issues that, uh, beget a different relationship. And while I believe that black and indigenous people are, um, are forever intertwined in the historical base of this country, mm -hmm. I also believe, um, that we need to take the time, each of us to take a step back and to uh, realize that our understanding of each other's groups, and, and this also includes other marginalized groups, whether it's, uh, whether it's LGBTQ, uh, Latinx, uh, Chicano, uh, you know, women, just uh, straight across the board, we have been informed by a sort of settler colonial idea of what this is yeah. and who this is and how that is. And all of us need to take a step back and uh, take a chance to learn and readjust our understanding. Um, so there is connection there. Absolutely, there's connection there. Um, but uh, the nuance of those connections need to be more refined. And uh, I think yeah. that's super important. Now, for, for uh, folks that are listening, um, particularly if you are uh, not a person of color or uh, somebody from a uh, different um, sexual identity, um, there are, uh, there may be some questions. Some of this stuff might not be obvious. Like what do you two possibly have to talk about that has to do with the, in, the outdoor industry? And furthermore, like, isn't talking about these things just going to muddy the waters and create issues where there are none, uh, <laughs> mm. which is, is, well, I think you could see that pop up with something like um, the 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 gravel race in Kansas, the Dirty Kanza, and you can see where people are upset because they're hearing things they've never heard before. They're like seeing perspectives that they never heard before. They're becoming defensive and they're becoming upset. Yeah. That's why these conversations need to happen. Just because you don't see it. Uh, doesn't mean that it's not happening, which is, which is our plight as people of color, you know, we've always been too sensitive, man, you know, <laughs> like really, I think you're just blowing it out of proportion. Uh, but yeah. none of that's true. All of these things exist, whether you see it or not. And so I, right. that's why I think this is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you, you hit it on the nose and you know, it's also for us talking about our experiences, you know, being in outdoor spaces and, and, doing outdoor activities, whether that's, you know, obviously with us into cycling or it's hiking or it's uh, backpacking, there's all kinds of um, experiences that I'm looking forward to talking to. And, you know, it, one of the things that as always, and I'm glad we're doing this is always kind of like 
hit me the wrong way. And I don't know if you remember, like on the on Instagram, you'd always see these like epic pictures, right? Of these awesome bike packing trips or these incredible, you know, landscapes when the hashtag is always outside is free, right? Mm. That always bothered me. And because I know that it's not free for everyone, right? Like these experiences, you know, that that are kind of put front page, right? As like the epic things to do aren't always spaces that are safe for us, mm. you know? And um, I've never really talked about that openly with a lot of my friends um, until recently. And when I've had those conversations, it's been eye-opening, you know? And I think that, um, you know, the more opportunities we have to share, you know, what it's like, um, you know, the better that we're going to get at doing this. And um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think we can explore that, you know, that concept of this outside space and whether or not it's free and, and what that looks like to different people, you know, and what we can do to bring more people under the tent, right? So if we want to bring more people in, you know, what can we do, right? And so, um, and, you know, what responsibilities do we have in that, right? As minorities, like, yeah. Yeah. is it is it on me to, 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 to advocate for that and, and to push for spaces that are safe? Or is it, you know, on the people that are making these places not inclusive to kind of change their behavior? So like, these are conversations that I feel like people are starting to wrestle with. And um, I don't know if we'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, well, I mean, I think that's, what's uh, cool about this because we can make it personal, but then we can also um, go on this journey with other people. Um, yeah. There's one thing that I really, really want to do. And we've discussed this at length because um, we recognize that between you and I and the producer uh, James, that we are uh, a bunch of dudes. Um, I want to make sure that whatever we do, um, after this first sort of introductory episode, um, that we're, we're making space for people that might not otherwise have it. And, uh, and that we can bring that to the listeners, but also, uh, selfishly give us an opportunity to sort of open the doors to something new. Um, cause I'm pretty, pretty stoked about that as well. So, uh, just to kind of get it going, because this is the introductory episode, um, we have some questions that we're going to kind of put together uh, so that you can get to know us a little bit more, um, which I, I hope will open the doors to uh, a greater dialogue in future episodes, um, if not great dialogue in this episode. Uh, so I put um, I put the questions in the chat for you, Adam, uh, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna have you start, man. Um, these are just basic, like where are you from and what do you do and what yeah. are you riding and all that good stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah, so um, I grew up kind of all over that. that you know, I was born in Ohio, mostly raised in the Midwest, did some time here on the East Coast. Um, family moved around a lot. Um, parents weren't in the military or anything. They just, you know, were trying to figure out their careers and just kind of moved us around quite a bit. Um, went to historically black college in Florida, Bethune-Cookman College, um, on a football scholarship, ended up playing golf. That's a long story, but... Um, <laughs> uh, yeah um and uh eventually went to law school 
uh, relocated up here to uh, the DC, Virginia area for a job and been here since 2004. Um, I've uh, got two young kids that I'm sure, you know, you guys will hear us talk about on the show. I've only got two, Greg. <laughs> Greg's got me on this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so my kids are, you know, going on eight and six right now. Um, and uh, I, for my day job, uh, you know, I mean, I guess technically you could say I'm a project manager. Um, I'd like to, to call myself kind of like a professional nagger. I just nag people to do work all day. So nice. Um, that, that's kind of what I do. Um, yeah. So I've been lucky to have some really cool jobs here in the DC area. Um, the one that I, that I'm most proud of that I got a chance to uh, work on was uh, the opening of the Smithsonian um, African-American history museum. So I uh, worked on that project to get them open and going. Um, and that was a really awesome, meaningful experience that, you know, hopefully we get a chance to talk a little bit about it. Got some fun stories about working over there um, and yeah. rubbing, rubbing shoulders with just like random, like, I mean, I got a great George Clinton story um, about the mothership you guys are going to love. Oh my gosh. Uh, so just to, just, to, <laughs> just to tease that out a little bit. Um, now and, we we yeah. I worked for the National Museum of American Indians when it opened, mm, so maybe yeah. we can do an episode where we trade a little bit of that back and forth. Yeah. Nothing's crazier than uh, tourists in D.C. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And you know, working for the Smithsonian is a, an interesting experience in mm -hmm. itself. Um, and so you know, for, as far as like outdoor activities and kind of like how I experience the outdoors, first and foremost as a cyclist, um, but I'm also a skater at heart. I uh, grew that was my first thing that I fell in love with as a kid. I guess we can classify that in the outdoor. Mm -hmm. Do we? I, that's totally. the thing I'm struggling with a little bit. Like if you do it outside, right? Like the primary way that you are doing the activity is outside. You can say, right? Yeah. Outdoor. Okay. No, I, I think I think uh, we can take ambiguity in this uh, okay. from time to time. Totally. Right. Because I think these are fun kind of like um, subcultures to kind of talk about. Like the skate mm -hmm. community is awesome. I think we can do a really great, um, you know, both of us have experience in the skate community. And I think that that's a that's a cool place to talk on. Um, so skating, riding bikes. Um, and uh, th yeah, those are primary my two primary ways that I experienced, you know, the outdoors. I guess you can say I was trying to figure this out. Golf does happen outside. It does. Um, so you know we can we can we can go there but yeah i i also um am getting back into golf so i'm going out and play on um this week so uh, james just weighed in on something interesting uh because this is an interesting perspective thing too that um the outdoor curation thing is uh is a privilege issue that mm. uh essentially folks don't want to be associated or grouped with so subcultures like skaters uh because uh i mean you know from when we were young um because we're about the same age yeah. Yeah. um that skate culture was anti-social culture that it was uh you know hooligans and, and kind of akin to punk rockers and hip hoppers you know in in the 80s and 90s especially uh i I think that's really an interesting point. That's deep, man. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of it that way. It really is, you know, when you think about who sets the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. And who decides 
this is the outdoor industry, right? Just think of that in and of itself, like how that sounds. And if we were to go around and, and just ask random people what that meant to you, I'm sure we're going to get this, you know, homogenized like narrative that um, we didn't have a hand in creating, right? Yeah. Um, but we do now. <laughs> yeah, I think snowboarding was in that 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 uh, as well. Uh, yeah, and maybe you know, uh, in its own little weird uh, way, uh, like inline skating. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of in the same vein. I laugh because I, you know, I was a skater. Those were the guys we made fun of. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same here. You know, but yeah, bring up right. Yeah, I, was, I was talking to somebody the other day about ultimate frisbee, right? And yeah. I'm like, what's the ultimate Frisbee crowd like? You know, like, what, what are their issues? What are the things that they're grappling with and talking about, you know? And, but you're right. Like, and I, and I really appreciate that, that, that viewpoint and how this, you know, intersects with privilege. And, um, you know, it kind of goes to the theme of our podcast from the outside. It's like the outside looking in, like we're really, you know, kind of investigating kind of like this space and trying to kind of, figure out you know what our place is there and you know um and issues like that but yeah no that's a that's a uh james has given me something really good to to think on that's yeah uh, that's really deep um yeah and then you know i think as far as um you know as as, as far as again going back to some of the things that i want to get out of the podcast you know being an african-american being black male in a predominantly white um you know sport whether that's cycling um you know there are a lot of things that and experiences that i've had and experiences that i would like to have that i think necessitate an honest conversation mm -hmm. and um i'm hoping that we get there and then also we're seeing you know so we're in the midst of this pandemic but we're also in the midst of everybody figuring out America's racist, right? Oh my gosh, like, just like that, right? Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, you know, but in that, in that context, I think a lot of people are trying to figuring out and are re-examining their relationships with brands, right? And especially, you know, in, in outdoor, and we're seeing this wave of like, we're going to, you know do x for for brown people and we're going to do this and we're going to do this a, a wave of support right mm -hmm. and everybody trying to figure out how to do it right but there's also like you know there's a lot of policing going on around that and excuse the pun that wasn't probably wasn't the best no no i, I mean I, I, I think that's still an adjective that works <laughs> yeah yeah sure it is i guess yeah right um so you know i think that i am particularly interested in talking about and re-examining the choices that we make um uh as far as you know things that we're buying where we're putting our money mm -hmm. you know and uh yeah yeah so that that those those are some of the things i'm, I'm thinking about so i have um i have a question and uh and i also have a statement that i'd be curious to hear um i, I i've never asked you this i'd be curious to hear your your response to it. The first question, uh, I, and I know you don't speak for the black community, but I'm, I'm curious about your perspective, um, which is likely shared. Um, we're talking about identifying words, uh, and there's been a progression of uh, identifying words in the history of, of black folks in America. Um, 
what is the appropriate thing to say or uh, or to call um, black people? Black people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 I kind of like doing the thing where I make people uncomfortable by saying <laughs> African-Americans. Right. So they're, they're trying to figure out what to say. And like I could I always know when somebody's like really uncomfortable when they're like African-Americans. It's like, dog, you just call us black people. It's OK. Like, you know, that, that's what we call each other. Um, you know, yeah. So for me, anyway, I'm, I am, you know, there's no one way of being black. Um, yeah, it's black people to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel that as a native person, because I get that question a lot. Um, I, mm-hmm. I get in trouble for, uh, for saying Indian a lot. So you're, you may hear me say that throughout this podcast. Um, I say it because you know what I'm talking about. Like I'm speaking right. a language that you understand. Uh, Native American, American Indian, uh, First People, First Nations, Indigenous people. Um, I'm mostly concerned about inflection. Uh, so if you call me a dirty Indian, or if you call me a dirty Indigenous person of the North American continent, one might be more PC than the other, but they still have the same. They still have the same inflection. So, um, but I'm I'm curious from you, like, what's the? See, so I'm hearing like a lot of a lot of. Um, a lot that you're comfortable with. So whether it's indigenous people, native, native, like what's for you though, are there any like signals as far as like the language people are using that kind of keys you into thinking a certain way about the person? Is that, if if you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, cause I, I've been really trying to, you know, say the, you know, I want to say the right thing to show that, you know, um, to show that, uh, to show respect basically you know i don't want to um and so yeah like what 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 are you most comfortable with or like what's the i you know i think um like i i met you know uh so i'm an artist so um i've done some performance art and so i come in contact with people and i met people that are like are you an indian yeah. Like, and, and I okay. immediately know what's happening in that moment. And, and yeah. because people are to some degree concerned about language in this way, um, if you lead with the word Indian, I, I kind of got your number. Uh, okay. I kind of know where you're coming from. Okay. That's what um, I wanted to know. Yeah. I think the fail safes are uh, indigenous. Um, I, I, I go to that because it's very general. Um, but I under I also know what you're talking about. If you say American Indian, Native American, a lot of people like to say Native American. Um, and there's a weird history behind that word that that I think it actually has nothing to do with indigenous people. Um, first peoples, first nations. But but what people need to understand is the English is not just very limited, but also um the the context and level of understanding that people have about indigenous people is incredibly limited. Um, Mm. Those words are made up words that are meant to lump an entire continent of people into one group when the continent of people are as diverse as the world that we live in. So Mm. there's uh, 573 tribes that are recognized by the federal government. Um, there's another 500 or there's another couple hundred more that aren't federally recognized, but are usually recognized on a state level of some kind. Um, there's like 300 different languages. There's like different dialects within those languages. So for example, I'm, I'm a Northern Paiute 
and we speak the same language as uh, the Western Shoshone and uh, but the dialects are just slightly different. And so that's a huge area in the United States, like through uh, the Great Basin area. So it's like Nevada on the west uh, border uh, against California, the base of the Sierras, all the way into Utah, where like a lot of Western Shoshones are. Hmm. Um, and so if you want to get technical, I mean, those are made up words and uh, that really we identify by the communities that we come from. Okay. And so I think that that's an important step. Most people can't be bothered with that. Um, but from a legal point of view, the term Indian and the term American Indian have legal precedent uh, that is associated with treaties and mm -hmm. with um, even with uh, like Supreme Court recognition uh, for the federal trust obligations that the United States has with indigenous people. So all of those things, like the National Museum of American Indians, which is a uh, which is a Smithsonian institution, um, which means that it is funded by the federal government and also funded by private donors. Um, they use that term for two reasons: one, because of that legal precedent, uh, the history of that word uh, within founding documents of this country. Um, and the establishment of relationships through treaties and, and things of that nature. Um, and also because the original collection that um, the Smithsonian purchased all that from was called the um, Museum of American Indians. I think, I think it was in Brooklyn um, and they acquired that. It was like some rich tycoon that was like purchasing every knickknack and thing you could possibly imagine putting it into a warehouse in Brooklyn and the Smithsonian bought it and then transferred that down to, that's a long story, but anyways, <laughs> they transferred it down to DC. But there's a whole conversation about like, why is it the National Museum of American Indians when we're in the middle of a conversation, you know, in the, in the nineties and in the early two thousands of saying native American to be, uh, to be a little more uh, politically correct. Right. Um, so yeah, that's a really complicated Long no, that's 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 important, I think, for people to hear, especially in the context of, you know, right now, the national spotlight is obviously on the mascots debate. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not a debate. I mean, I guess it's a debate for some people and how they're they're used with our sports teams. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so I guess you know, and we haven't really we've had some conversations, I think, uh, but not uh, of any length, really, recently over kind of where we are now i guess you know i think most of the spotlight is here on the washington football team uh and uh the the the, the push to get them uh to change the name and they're finally gonna have they done it yet do you know oh do you have you have I, you heard what's happening because <laughs> they were supposed to make an announcement on monday yeah uh, that's why i haven't heard anything yeah it's it's wednesday uh july 15th so they were supposed to make a, an announcement on the 13th um apparently and i don't know all the details uh there is a guy in virginia that holds all oh, all yeah. of the uh yeah. trademarks for all of the possible names that they're gonna name the football team so they're caught up in like a big legal trademark situation which i think is freaking hilarious that's awesome that's that's that is that's con man that is that's poetic that is awesome that's really great okay so so we don't have a name yet um but you know i, I want to know from you though like i found it interesting in that i felt like it was the money that made him do it yeah right it's like it's the money said dan snyder you got to change the name basically yeah 
No, absolutely. And, and so for you, and I know, man, you've, and so for the listeners out there, I definitely encourage you to kind of look up some of the work Greg's done uh, for, you know, keeping this issue front and center. Um, it's been incredible. Uh, you know, so I, from you, does that kind of like change your feeling about it in any kind of way that, you know, really at the end of the day, it felt like, and maybe we're going to start to see this with other um, mascots that are, that are, are that are being, um, being reconsidered. Does that make you feel a certain way? Like that it was, it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was the people. It really felt like it was the, the money. I was, I, I was actually talking to a friend about this. Um, and this might actually be an unpopular opinion. Um, but I think it's a really interesting observation. Um, it's, I'm glad that it's happened. So, um, uh, so for listeners, uh, you know, I lived in the DC area for about 17 years. Um, and my wife, uh, grew up there and we moved to Colorado about five years ago. Uh, but while I was there, uh, in college and then, uh, after college and when we met and when my art career was, uh, beginning to take off, um, you know, after that, uh, I was one of many voices that was at the forefront of the mascot debate. Um, my, the thing I'd bring to the table is, uh, my voice and my opinion, cause I'm just articulate enough to, to be able to, you know, carry that. Um, but I was also creating art that sort of was around that issue. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting watching this because in, uh, 2014, um, 2000, I would say 2013 to 2014 and 15 uh, is when social media was really beginning to take hold as a viable medium and uh, native uh, activists on social media started pushing this issue and it gained ground. Like Twitter was a huge place yeah. that began to really gain ground. Um, that was really important because, um, because the, the news gets to decide what you hear. And because the news gets to decide what you hear, there's, there's not really any equity there. You know, if they decide that this issue doesn't matter, then they're not going to talk about it. And when they do talk about it, it's, you know, it's filtered through this sort of sensational lens um, of either, you know, being in favor of or against whatever it is that anybody's doing. Um, social media leveled the playing field and allowed voices to be heard that okay. were never heard before. And, um, right. and so I got to be a part of that. The thing that the unpopular opinion um, that it's, it's kind of sad that natives couldn't do this on their own. And, mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. that even at the time when this was sort of at its peak, um, we couldn't even muster enough allies to really help back us up. I mean, there was a couple people like Terry Crews said some stuff and um, there was uh, a number of like other celebrities that were kind of saying things, but they were mostly making comments and then just kind of bailing out. There mm -hmm. wasn't a, another step. Um, I'm grateful that the Black Lives Matter movement has uh, begun to shine a light on inequity in all corners uh, mm -hmm. with all types of people. And that's played a part in this. So um, as I understand it, somebody kind of got to a lot of the big sponsors of the uh, the Washington football team and uh, those sponsors turn around. So that was FedEx and Nike. Those were the first two, two and yeah. FedEx uh, basically said, Hey, you need to change your name. And for those of you that are not familiar, 
um, the, the Washington football team plays at FedEx field. They are like the sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Nike pulled all of their merchandise off. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to my wife about this this morning, actually. And she was like, you know, it's, it's, uh, kind of a bummer that it came down to money, uh, which I agree. But I also think that, uh, it's, if you can look at it from a different perspective, it's about, um, money, uh, from, as a consequence. So yeah, it sucks that they don't have the moral fortitude to make the change on their own, but the consequence of the lack of moral fortitude of, uh, the Washington football team is that, uh, they can lose a lot of money that, that's in that. And that's okay. You know, I think that it, it, keeps the conversation going and it does eliminate, you know, the most egregious uh, sports mascot uh, using a dictionary defined racial slur um, and uh, beginning to sort of take away those things. And it begets greater conversations as well about representation, uh, visibility, invisibility, uh, you know, voice stereotype. I mean, it just goes, the list goes on and on and on. Um, So, yeah, and, and the Washington football team, you know, and, yeah, I, there, there's a lot of nuance in it as well. I mean, this is something that Native people have essentially been protesting for 50 years. The team's been around for 80 years. So one of the arguments is that, you know, where were you guys when this came together? And, you know, it's like, well, most Native people were stuck on reservations and most kids were being forced into boarding schools uh, where they were being uh, forced assimilated, losing language and culture and, and, and identity, cultural identity. Um, and there's also, I think, needs to be room for progression of thought. You know, when, when a settler colonialist society tells you that this, okay, this is okay, it might take a few generations for you to kind of put the pieces together and realize that, no, this isn't okay. Um, and that the, the fact that we can uh, essentially come back, double back and say, yo, this is not okay. Should, should be okay. Like it should be okay for us to, to reassess and say, you know what, never mind. This is not cool. Um, so What's, what's crazy about this uh, is that there is a woman named Suzanne Harjo in, in Washington, D.C. that essentially sued the Washington football team uh, based on a piece of trademark law that states that you can't trademark uh, racial slurs, anything derogatory, anything that is um, inappropriate. So, for example, like one of the Waynes brothers has been trying to uh, trademark the N-word for years uh, and trademark. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, it- trademark is essentially the United States protecting your brand. That's a, that's what the trademark is. It, it is a government office that will take and recognize that you own this and that they are going to protect it. And it gives you, uh, the ability to sue and protect yourself based on that trade. You, do you know more about that than I do? I, I assume that's kind of the lay person's. Yeah, no, you got it. Okay, <laughs> I, Craig, I, I got a C in copyright law. <laughs> I got a C. I'll never. That, that's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> so, so she sued. Uh, Susan Harjo sued, and uh, and then the judge ultimately said, um, "You took too long. Like you're too old. Uh, what do they call that when you wait too long to?" Uh, well, the issue's not ripe. 
I don't know. Yeah. Um, or the statute of limitations. That's run. it. Like there's a lot of different. Yeah. yeah. So basically her statute of limitations was, uh, was not in place. So she got okay. together a bunch of young natives and reestablished the suit and uh, young natives that will be within that so-called statute of limitations. Um, if I remember correctly, and, and uh, I apologize if this is wrong, um, they went to court and they lost and they appealed. They had a different judge for the appeal and it went through and it was, uh, with, it was upheld that they could not copyright based on, uh, based on that, that uh, concept that it, you can't copyright racial slurs. Okay. Um, the crazy thing that happened, this was just a few years ago, is there's this band, uh, this all Asian band uh, called the Chinks, and they mm. wanted to copyright their band's name. And they were doing it under this concept of, uh, of uh, self-identifying, reclaiming mm. and self-identifying. Um, it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court was like, you know what? You can trademark this name because uh, it, it's freedom of speech. And whoever was there said, and by the way, so can the Washington Redskins. So uh. what ended up happening, and I've heard that the, um, that the band was just like mortified that that got pulled into it. Mm -hmm. But as, as we know, if, uh, you know, a, a justice of, um, of the Supreme Court says something within a ruling, it, it's, it's pretty much law. That's the highest court in the land. So that happened. So things were looking really bleak until like two weeks ago. <laughs> and yeah, 2020 is wild, man. Yep. But like, I saw I mean, a meme today that said that 2020 is still better than country music. Oh, that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. Hey, when we get to our music episode, I've got a nice, like, I, I, I've grown into country. So, um, Anyways, I don't know how to respond to that, man. Hey, man, listen, <laughs> it can be our music too. <laughs> um, um, anyways, yeah. but um, yeah, well, I think that that's interesting in that I, I do wonder. So there is a, a really interesting intersection that, well, what all this is happening now, right? Yeah. It's happening like in this, this, in the middle of this pandemic which I can't kind of get out of, you can't not talk about the two things together. Yeah. Right. And um, I, I mean, I was even reading today, it looked like there was a town in North Carolina and this is not un, a little unrelated to uh, the mascot um, news, but news uh, regardless. So this town in North Carolina um, approved uh, reparations for black people. What? Like is, bananas i'm like wait a minute like for real reparations like you're gonna apologize for slavery and you're gonna acknowledge that and you're gonna you know um you're going to uh you know compensate you know you know descendants of of enslaved people like whoa anyway that's incredible it's incredible but it was like it was like the third bullet point down you know like on <laughs> on the news there's so much Jeez. going on today and I feel like we're in this, we're just in this like moment. Well, I, 
you know, so I think back on history, like you think of like the 1963s and 1968s, like mm -hmm. there's like these periods where just like everything happens and we're in the middle of that right now, you know, and I'm hoping that these things don't get lost. Um, I feel like the momentum that we got, particularly with the mascots and um, also, you know, extending even further out to, you know, all the statues that are coming down and uh, that sort of and thing. And Jemima and Uncle Ben. Oh my gosh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been... I, I which, which was weird because uh, Land of Lakes, they pulled the, the yeah. Indian maiden yeah. off of Land of Lakes just before all this happened which yeah. was also kind of crazy. And there's a whole story behind Land Lakes too. Cause that original logo was actually created by a native person. Wow. Okay. And of yeah. That's, yeah. that's all weird. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, mate, so here we are in 2020. It just feels like everything is happening. Um, I've, I've kind of, and I don't know if you did, I've kind of just gotten to the point where I have so many bookmarks on news articles and I'm trying mm -hmm. to keep things fresh that it really <laughs> is hard. And in the midst of, I keep saying this, a pandemic where we all have cloud brain, right? Like, you know, if you think you're coping with this well, you're not. Sorry. Yeah. Like, we're all in this and we're all having varying degrees, right? Totally. Of, of, of impact. And so we are digesting very complex issues with like half of our three quarters of our, of our, of our normal capacity. I I'd you know? correct that and say that about half of the country is digesting okay. complex okay. issues. Sure. Well, well we are, we <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like, you know, when you think about that as the backdrop, you know, to our conversations, it, um, you, you can't not talk about the two things together. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. And, I, and you're and and just for the listeners to know, you know, Greg, um, you're in, you're in Colorado now. Yeah. Um, I guess describe just a little bit about the makeup of, you know, where you are in Colorado and, you know, for you being there and you're out on your bike and you're doing things like what, what's it like there? It's, um, it's strange. Uh, I, you know, I, I was in DC for so long that, um, when we moved here, I, I was actually kind of shocked at how white it was. <laughs> and, uh, you, you, you know, in DC, there's so many different cultures and so many different places. Like, uh, when my hair was short, like when, you know, which was during the time that, that we were writing, um, there's an ambiguity, you know, to my identity, uh, which is kind of nice. Um, mm -hmm. but my, you know, when my hair gets longer then that's like a whole different story. Okay. And, um, and out here, there's no ambiguity. I, I get mistaken for being a Mexican a lot. Um, which is fine, but, uh, it's, it's so uh, Colorado, I think is oftentimes viewed from the outside as being a very liberal state. Mm -hmm. Um, Denver's pretty progressive. Boulder's pretty progressive. I live in Colorado Springs. It is not progressive. Uh, it's like, I think the second most politically conservative city in the country, uh, focus on the family, uh, which works really hard to sort of, um, try to end, uh, indigenous or not indigenous, sorry, uh, rights of LGBTQ uh, people. They lobby against that stuff. So that's like a whole other thing. Um, but this whole area is uh, super, super conservative. So I live not in Colorado Springs. I live within the same County, just outside of Colorado Springs. It is a, uh, it is a Trump nest 
and I live in complete and total ambiguity. Like nobody, uh, nobody knows who I am or what I do. And, um, it isn't until the last couple of months that I realized that if people find that out, that I might be in trouble. Um, but it's, uh, like it's really beautiful and it's nice, but then it's also not nice. Um, the confrontations that happen here um, are a bit much. You know, when when Trump uh, was voted into office uh, or when he won office, the day he was sworn in, I was at the grocery store and a dude stood behind me and uh, my hair's long and oftentimes braided, bowed down to my butt. And uh, he said, uh, this is Trump's America mother effer go back to where you came from. And it took me a second to register that he was talking to me. Um, but things like that happening is not uncommon. Um, I do love it when people tell me that I should go back where I came from, but oh, um, yeah, that, that's always fun because <laughs> our passports are shit. Sorry. You know, we, we can't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> even if we wanted to. <laughs> right. So Trump's saying we're going to go to the moon. We can't even go to Europe. So, uh, (laughs) but the, uh, but like, I don't know, it's, I have mixed feelings about this place. Uh, it's, it's beautiful and I love riding here and my kids have a good education and people are for the most part, pretty quiet, but like, as the political, um, sphere begins to become more stark as we get closer to November, um, you know, people are flying their flags and they're making Mm -hmm. their opinions, unapologetically known um the amount of people that are not wearing masks where i'm at is uh is frightening to me um there's an entire community of people in this area that are uh, fighting to open schools and not require masks for the schools Mm -hmm. that my kids go to and luckily our school district just sent out an email yesterday that said masks are required if you're Mm -hmm. going to school which good on them Mm -hmm. but it's uh so it's a little bit frightening. I try not to let it get to me, but you know, that fog brain, the amount of information we're getting, um, I'm yeah. finding also as I get older that uh, anxiety is real, man. It, it's uh, popped up more than once. Uh, in fact, popped up yesterday because there's just a lot going on. Um, but I'm lucky, uh, you know, um, I've got five kids, which is like having a million kids. And yeah. Uh, I get to ride my bike and uh, I do okay. Um, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm also a creative director for an art uh, organization in Boulder. And uh, yeah, man, it's not, it's, it's strange. Um, I sometimes wish we were living closer to Denver, but then uh, on the other side of that is, you know, the well-meaning liberal white folks that overstep a lot. So that's like a whole other thing, but yeah. um, it's definitely different than DC. Um, but I know DC has its pockets as well. The neighborhood we used to live in is, uh, would essentially be like living here, uh, politically. So, yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I have strong opinions, but I'm not really, uh, I'm not walking out of my house with a bullhorn, you know, I'm just, uh, trying to make sure my family's fed, especially right now trying to teach my children everything that's going on and, and make sure that they understand what's happening. But, you know, part of this conversation too, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this is uh, trying to explain to my kids, like if I get pulled over, what happens and what they need to prepare for. Um, because, you know, in the statistic of, you know, young black men being at high risk uh, for, for police brutality or violence or inequity, 
Um, I think if I remember correctly, the statistic is uh, ever so slightly higher for indigenous men between the ages of 25 and 45. And that, uh, that that's a real statistic as well. And that's something that our two communities share. So that conversation happens in my household, as I'm sure it does in yours, where you have to explain to your children this is where my hands are going to go. This is what's going to happen. This is what you have to do, what rights you have. You know, this is uh, how you should approach this. This is where, you know, you need to, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, make sure your hands are always visible, ask for permission to move and all of those different things. And um, that's just a frightening aspect of, of our existence, no matter where we are. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, yeah. I mean, coming back to that, you know, conversation with our children about relationships with police. You know, my oldest, um, uh, Noah, he, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, he was like, I want to be a police officer because he's a very rule oriented kid. (laughs) And um, we had a conversation recently. So I'm able to have conversations with him about, you know, what's going on. And um, he just, he couldn't at first understand how there could be bad police, right? Because kids at that, you know, age eight, when you know, they're seeing things black and white, you know, it's, it's very binary. It's like, you're either a good guy or a bad guy. And um, it was hard, man. It's like when you're, when your kids are worried about you, you know, like he's legitimately worried about me. Like he's worried that if something happens here in the house and we have to call the police that, I can't be the one that goes to the door. So my wife is white and, uh, and Greg, that's something that's, that we share in common. Yeah. Um, and they know I can't go to the door or if we're out in public and I have to discipline one of them because they're acting up, somebody's probably going to reach in their, you know, reach in their purse or reach in their pocket and pull out their phone. You know, um, my kids present, white but they don't really it's kind of funny like if you guys see pictures of my kids i mean they've got blonde hair and green eyes i mean who knew um (laughs) but uh so they're definitely my children but it's it's interesting because you know i there's just so many calculations that we have to make from the minute we walk out the door Mm -hmm. right and i had a great conversation with a friend who um, as a cyclist and she was, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how she can be a better ally. And she asked me a question. She's like, do you ever not think of yourself as black, you know, like, or think that at, as you, as you're carrying yourself as you, as you're black, right. You're ever not aware of your blackness. And I'm like, no, like, like it's just, it, it's, um, I keep coming back to it literally from the minute I step out the door, every decision that I make is informed by my blackness and how people are going to uh, uh, take that or how they're going to receive me, you know, and um, who's going to be threatened by it, Mm -hmm. you know, all those kinds of things. And so, yeah, man, like our kids, I think that that's been kind of the, the thing that is really hit in the gut the hardest you know, is having those conversations and, you know, um, and them kind of seeing the injustice, but also not really sure what they can do, you know? 
Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I think that's tough. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, confrontations with police, with, you know, with indigenous people. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, I hadn't really realized that, that, that statistic. And that's something that, um, you know, James was sharing, you know, that, you know, Native Americans are killed um, in police counters at a higher rate than any other racial or ethnic group. Um, and that's according to the CDC. Um, We're but, invisible. You know, the, yeah, but these, you know, that, that doesn't get any coverage. And it goes, goes to your point about being invisible, like in this, this country is, is yeah. oh, man. And, and, you know, I think, um, I don't know about you, like I know my kids, because my kids pass as well as white. Um, they are all members, uh, card-carrying members of our tribe. Our tribe uh, has recognized them as members of our community. And um, this country is stuck on uh, Native people looking the way they expect them to look uh, as Native yeah. people. But um, it's not it's not there's not a there's a spectrum <laughs> in terms yeah. of like where you're from where you grew up and you know uh who your people are um and uh so that's something that my kids are going to have to deal with but they get to see a lot through my eyes i remember um a couple of years ago uh so my daughter my 14 year old daughter sage uh, she rolls with me quite a bit and um we went to the grocery store and she saw me take the receipt and I put the receipt in my pocket and she's like, why do you like, you already paid for it. Like, it's just groceries. You could just throw that away. And I'm like, no, you got, I got to keep the receipt. She's like, why? Because it's proof that I was here. <laughs> yeah. And, and that seems like such a simple, like really kind of tiny thing, but like that is a significant thing because if you, if you supposedly look like somebody that is a uh, you know that is possibly a suspect in some crime, and some uh, officer decides that you know you look like that person. Like you have to almost timestamp everywhere you go and everything that you do. Yeah. Um, and these are just like the tiny little things that are part of our existence um, that are interesting. Uh, yeah. Disheartening too. I mean, imagine you're you know because I think she was twelve at the time that we had that conversation. Imagine your 12 year old, you know, like bright eyed and just looking at the world with like hope and wonder. And, and I have to tell her that, you know, yeah. and what that looks like. That truth is, uh, is hard and sometimes soul crushing, you know? Um, so we have this interesting place of being truthful, but then also on the back end trying to lift our children up so that they continue to have hope in the world that they live in. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you look at kind of how we um, enjoy being outside and all the fun things that we do with our families, um, you know, it definitely, I've kind of found from our end, the more I can show them that it's okay for me to be out here and doing these things, um, the more it's just normalized for them. And that's yeah. kind of like, I kind of feel like generationally, I'm hoping that we see um, you know, more people in spaces where we traditionally wouldn't, you know, and I think that, you know, whether it's you out on your fat bike, you know, and in the, in the, in the snow and <laughs> in Colorado, right? Like, it's, it's just, um, you know, our kids seeing us doing those things just makes it normal. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we uh, are, I think our experiences 
are going to seem, and I don't want this podcast and our conversations to seem like, oh my God, this was just so hard. Like today, like I was out on a bike ride and I saw a Confederate flag, Greg, and it just crushed me, you know, like, no, no, no. Like I, yes, we do, I we them. do we see do. Confederate flags. We see them all the time, right? Like, okay. Like I, you know, I live off of, you know, you're, Lee highway, right? You're, you're like, below the, I mean, the Mason Dixon line. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. Right. I mean, it's, guys, it's a racist country. You're going to hear us talk about that a lot. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, these things are everywhere. So, you know, but I do think it's kind of like, um, there's a lot of folks that I think genuinely want to be allies and genuinely want to, you know, um, show that, you know, they're about the change. And um, it, it's, uh, and I, I love to hear that and I love to see that. I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to accept that. Right. Because again, I, I've said this in the past, it's like, been sick for 45 years and then suddenly everybody just showed up at the same time with all the flowers and the gift cards right mm, just like yeah. it's like wait a minute hold on i don't i don't i'm still trying to figure out how to <laughs> say i appreciate this right yeah and um bring you in and you know show that um that i care but um yeah so i don't know we're in interesting times in that sense and again coming back to the pandemic we're doing a lot of this over zoom calls and phone calls and we're missing a lot of that um, face-to-face kind of interactions Mm -hmm. that I think are important for people understanding some of our positions, you know? And um, one of the things I really like that people say, I don't know, maybe, I mean, maybe this is cheesy, um, but I don't hear it too often, but when I do hear it, I think it's like super meaningful is when somebody kind of stops and says, um, I see you and I hear you. And, and there's something to that that I think is just uh, incredibly beautiful, you know, that, that, and, and I hope they mean it, you know, when they say yeah. it, but like as a native person, you know, we're talking about visibility or invisibility. And I think that's true too. Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think that's also true as being uh, a person of color and just in general as being seen mm-hmm. that that idea of somebody like saying that I think is, um, is pretty meaningful. I don't take that lightly. Yeah. It's interesting in black culture because, you know, white culture loves black culture, right? (laughs) What's the saying? It's like, they love our rhythm, but they don't want our blues. You know, we have something similar for natives too. Cause, because white people love Indians too, right? Yeah. They love us, but they don't want our struggle. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) They right. want to be Indians, but they don't want our struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, like, I, so I feel like for me is, I, I feel like, yes, you're right. So there's like parts of me that are very seen. Right. And there's interest, you know, that I've, that I've, that I've always found, but um, now it's different right now. People are talking about the struggle mm-hmm. and they're acknowledging systemic racism. They're acknowledging power structures that were set in place from the, the birth of this, you know, this country. Like these, these are conversations that people are having in earnest. And, um, you know, when we, you know, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the outdoor industry and those brands, my biggest thing right now that I'm seeing and the, the, the folks that are doing it the right way, I feel like are the ones that are coming to the table, just honest, 
right? And, you know, they are opening themselves up to, you know, um, to acknowledging the privilege that they have, acknowledging that, you know, all the way down to, you know, you may have been able to start your business because you had access to capital that somebody else had probably the same idea, but didn't have that access, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I hope that we start to see more acknowledgement and more transparency. Uh, but we've got a long way to go, man, with a lot of these, these companies. And I'm curious, Greg, Greg like what, what's your, and I've struggled with this. Like what's your expectation right now? From, from some of your favorite brands. So, and I don't want to, I don't want to put any names out right now, but just like generally speaking, like what do you expect right now? Um, I think, well, first I'd like to say we will be naming names uh, <laughs> as this goes along at some yeah, point, sure. but in a construct, in a constructive way, uh, cause we're yeah. certainly not trying to shake anybody down. Um, but I think that accountability is really important. And uh, so don't say you're going to be, anti-racist and more inclusive and then don't do those things right and the transparency you know piece is is really important yeah um you know and, and but again i've struggled with like what do i really expect you know because the thing that i'm i'm struggling with i'm really getting tired of giving people the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. you know this is like I hear what you're saying. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Right. I'm not a fan of intent. And cause I think that's related as well. Like intent right. to me is a load of crap. Yeah. Yeah. No, the right intent. And you know, again, it's, I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm realizing that I'm not the one that has to come up with, I, I shouldn't be the one that, is pushing for people to be transparent or mm. pushing for you know the accountability or pushing for more specific goals or pushing for these companies to do the the research that they need to do before they actually jump into communities and try to do things right yeah like why is that on me yeah you know like i'm the one that y- y'all are trying to you know help in this situation I'm, you know it's it's just that's what I struggle with and I'm invested and I care. So that's why I am, you know, I'm up at night looking and I have a spreadsheet of all the things that companies have made promises about. And I've set calendar reminders to email people and all this That's Sorry. That's a project manager stuff. Right. But <laughs> it's, it's, um, but I've had to, I've, I've struggled with that. I'm like, I'm putting so much energy and so much focus into this. And, but I'm the one that's hurt. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, and that's, that's a shared experience for sure. Um, There's a number of uh, native organizations and individuals that have been trying to have this discussion with the outdoor industry. And um, those discussions have been about appropriation, cultural appropriation. I, I think the correlation is like, we're outdoors and Indians are outdoors. And so like, yes, we can like, you know, pull these things together. Like they're somehow related. Let's put Coca Pelli on our socks. Uh, you know, that are wool socks to wear with your, uh, to wear with your, you know, $300 hiking shoes. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, whole thing and and that's true also with like the mascot debate how many people have said well you have a problem with that so what should we name it it's like i don't know do the work like you it's your team name it just like get rid of this thing yeah 
and I it's think not that, that it's not that hard. No, and and it, it requires a little bit of work. I am of the mindset that if you want to engage marginalized communities to create more inclusivity within your brand, within um, your catalogs, within whatever representation you're going within, you know, particularly with indigenous people like cultural wares, uh, iconography, like all those different things, you have to engage the people, yeah. ask those questions after you sign a contract with them and you pay them for their consulting fees, you should mm -hmm. be engaging people with your pocketbooks if it means something to you then it has value and if it has value then you should be paying them to do it yeah. and i think that you know and 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 i realize that you know within the benevolent discussion of uh, equity and uh, anti-racism in america um saying that there needs to be a dollar sign behind it like some people are going to be like oh well i guess you're not really benevolent it's all about money it is all about money it's mm -hmm. always about money because right. in the discussion of money, you know, like if I give you this information for free, you're going to go and you're <laughs> going to capitalize on that and you're going to make money off of it. Right. And what happens when you put money in the pockets of marginalized people in community members, in groups, in people that are fighting these good fights, you're helping them to live and to perpetuate their effort forward. If you believe in it, then you should be able to put some money into it because honestly, money doesn't mean anything, but it also means everything, you know, mm -hmm. like that, that for you to give me money shouldn't mean anything. But the fact that I get to uh, consult on these things that, you know, that I've spent a lot of time in, that I have a stake in, that is important to me, that is important to my family, to be able to perpetuate that voice by paying my bills is a good thing. In the same yeah. way that, you know, your advertising is to beget money. And so I, I guess, you know, to your, to your original question, I'm expecting to see changes. I'm expecting to see some jobs and some engagement and some like honest to goodness discussions. Like, you know, if you want to bring in a group of black folks to talk about how you can make your catalog more inclusive, you know, you should be taking care of all of those people. And mm -hmm. don't tell me that you have a small budget. Cause unless you're like, if you're a big company, let's say Patagonia, <laughs> like, cause right. I know they're fairly friendly and they're trying to work on a bunch of stuff. That's a big company. There's a lot of money there, you know? Yeah. Uh, if it's a small business, well, then, you know, we adjust, we're reasonable, you adjust those things. But I do think that in order to, um, that if people are putting value on this information, that this information needs to be, uh, needs to be uh, financed, it needs to be, uh, it needs, it needs to, an equal part at the table, everybody at the table is getting paid. So everybody at that table should get paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's um. And, you know, there's also a thread there that should also be discussed in the sense of, you know, these marginalized communities. Um, and you think about, you know, minority owned businesses in the outdoor space. Um, they're just not, I mean, I would struggle to think of any off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that um, that kind of empowerment you know, you see that in other industries, right? Like there's a, there's, there's a strong push there, you know, for, for minority owned businesses. And so, you know, I hope that we see some growth there. 
um, as well, because, you know, that's how you shift the narrative, right? As you start to shift, you know, you start to bring more people into the space. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think that we'll see that eventually. But uh, right now, you know, I mean, we're, 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 we're talking about, you know, changes in very, very, very white spaces. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And, and our hope is to bring uh, athletes also um, that can share their experiences, but also open the eyes to um, like, we know in the cycling industry that black riders are not really given a fair shake and yeah, no. that that's a pretty serious issue within that. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be interested in knowing what that looks like in swimming and uh, what yeah. that looks like in um yeah, uh, endurance running in like all, you know, triathlons. Like I, I believe I've seen, I won't name names yet, uh, but I've seen an indigenous athlete um, not given the same opportunity as a white athlete uh, because the white athlete had a pedigree and the indigenous one didn't. And, uh, and then automatically like, you know, giving the the white um the white guy a bigger chance than the native guy and the native guy has as much talent and if not more talent um and so those sort of who you know knowing the right people pedigree like those things come into play as well um, which i find really disturbing and that that needs to uh that needs to stop because if you're talented you're talented you know we go to the olympics um we want the best we don't want the person that's the most connected we want the best um, but I don't think that that's oftentimes what happens. Uh, it's sometimes what happens, but not all the time. Yeah. Depends on, depends on the, the sport and, you know, uh, whether or not it's, uh, and how it's being protected, you know, yeah. like, and if the gatekeepers want you in, you get in. Yeah. If they don't want you in, you don't get in, you know? And so, a lot of the a lot of the movement now is around smashing those gates you yeah. know and um yeah i think the number one place that you could see that in in recent years that was that might have been subversive to a lot of people but in my mind was really really obvious uh golfing in tiger woods <laughs> where it's like he's he's golfing from country clubs that have like a whites only rule situation yeah. I mean, that's that somehow that has been swept under the rug, but like Tiger Woods, you know, was a big part of uh, changing that. Yeah. So he definitely, so it's interesting because I got into golf because Michael Jordan played golf mm. and I saw him <laughs> playing golf and I was played basketball in high school. And I thought, well, if Michael Jordan's playing golf, I need to play golf if I want to be a better basketball player. Which is, which so, is our era, by the way, like my, yeah. the whole Michael Jordan thing. Yeah. That's our, yeah. Era. <laughs> so anyways, but really, if you, if you really kind of deconstruct that it was, I saw someone that looked like me out in a place where I never saw a black person. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute, I could do that. You know? And I think if you want to understand a lot of what we're talking about, you have to put yourself in the position of walking into a place and not being sure if this, if you can actually do the thing, right? Because you don't see anyone that looks like you doing it. Mm -hmm. That That's a, that's a hard thing to explain 
Um, and it's hard to, I think, explain to people the power of seeing someone that looks like you excel at something that you never, you never saw them in that space. You know, you, you go down to, you know, Serena and, and Venus and tennis, like there's, there's a number of examples of or one of my personal heroes, Ray Barbie is a skater, right. Mm. And got me into skating and his part in the band, this video was like on repeat. You know, it's like, I, I'll never forget when I sat down and I saw that, I was like, oh my God, there's another kid that looks like me that's doing it and I can get out there and do it and I don't have to keep it to myself. Yeah. You know, and man, that, that's, that's powerful. So, you know, when we're talking about getting folks into spaces where, you know, they haven't always been welcomed and, and really pushing these gatekeepers aside, it's because we understand how powerful that can be for people. You know, and um, yeah, yeah, no, that that I mean, because that's something that we deal with as well. Representation is uh, just. It's powerful, you know, to 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 see yourself being reflected um, in films, in, uh, you know, in sports, in music, in like any of these places is just incredibly empowering to young people. And it's not because you're standing there saying, hey. Uh, you know, this is how you do it. Like you're not sure. teaching anyone. Cause I, I get to do this with my work, you know, as like, as an artist um, with a mild, you know, national recognition. Um, I'm not teaching anybody how to do the work that I'm doing, but I know that young people are seeing what I'm doing and they're going, Oh, like I see, I see what you're doing, you know, and in their head, they're cycling it. They're trying to figure out how to, uh, how to also make that happen. Um, which means that we're empowering young people that are not seeing themselves and then suddenly are seeing themselves. Representation matters. It absolutely matters. So for indigenous people, you know, that mascot business, that was all the representation that we had. And to be able to see, like there was a, um, a documentary that came out a year, maybe two years ago called rumble. And, um, and it's about indigenous people in the music industry. It's so subversive, man. There's, there's so many native people that had started and been a part of that beginning of rock and roll along with black people, um, because there was a relationship, particularly in the South between songs that were being sung by, uh, black slaves and, and Mm -hmm. songs that were being sung by indigenous people and the integration of those things. It's incredible. But you get for a moment to see, like, there's a song that you hear, the, the song Rumble, was an old, old song, is played by an indigenous guitarist. Mm-hmm. That crap blows, even as a 45-year-old man, that stuff <laughs> blows my mind, you know? Yeah. And that's amazing. And we, our kids need to be able to see that. They need, they need those things every year. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, so, you know, James raises an interesting question around tokenism. And I've actually gotten a lot of questions about that from friends and that how do you, you know, how do you kind of like, how do you, how how can you point out the authentic, you know, ways that people are um, showing people of color in some of these spaces, right? And what what is, what is tokenism for, because there may be some people that don't even know what that is. Well, I don't have a Webster's de- definition, but <laughs> for me, it's uh, it's when it's just not authentic, right? When you're trying to take advantage of a particular, 
you know, you know, whether it's like you're, you're a company that has traditionally not used people of color in your marketing. And then suddenly, you know, a few black people show up, you know, in your next catalog. Right. And that can be viewed that way. So, but if you took the extra step and you hired people of color as photographers, right. You consulted with marketing age, you know, marketing, you know, folks that are people of color, you've really taken an extra step, right. To bring, you know, you know, bring these folks as a part of your culture. That's what distinguishes, you know, the people that are just using us basically as props and the people that are genuinely trying to bring us into the fabric of their company. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, if you, if you do some sleuthing and you ask some questions, you can figure it out, you know, um, but you have to want to figure it out. That's what I feel like with a lot of, you know, these issues, if you, you, you really have to try, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it, it, you, you, it's, it's easy to see when you think of it through the lens of, you know, the authenticity that I talked about. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. They like using us on the gram. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like, all right, we can get a black person and put them, you know, out in the woods with the backpack and look at us. Right. I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it, or, or my favorite, right. So, uh, it was a few years ago, I had a conversation with, um, with somebody over at Trek and I questioned them about their marketing practices. And the marketing guy got back to me and I'm not kidding you when I tell you this, one of his bullet points was that they had a writer from, I believe this, I believe this guy was from either Eritrea or Ethiopia that was on the long list for the tour to France. I remember. Okay. Like, no, 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 listen, listen. <laughs> like that was the, Hey, we're trying to do the right thing. Look at us. We're the diver- We're diverse. And that just like, I don't know, man. So anyways, you know, it's, um, it, 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 it's, I think now we're, we're, we're really starting to kind of pull out the magnifying glass and really, you know, look into this, but you know, for a long time, that was the way that, that companies kind of tried to show that they were, you know, they cared about black people. And it's yeah. Just like, no, nah, man, that's not it. <laughs> Uh, James just wrote his name in the notes. I cannot say that last name. Okay, so yeah, Daniel Teklahimanot. Um, wow. He was from Eritrea. He rode for MTN Quebeca and then went on to ride for Orica Green Edge. Mm. Um, the rider for Trek was Tusabi Gourmet. Um, he now rides for uh, Orica Green Edge. I believe that's where he moved over to. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I believe he's from Ethiopia. Um, anyways, there, well, I remember a- the year that he was in the tour de France, like, and, and with all due respect to, you know, Paul Sherwin and, and, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, the other, Phil the, yeah, Phil Liggett, who are the, you know, the, the sort of, uh, commentators for the tour de France and for, uh, European cycling. And, um, and I think maybe one or two one day or uh, short, uh, yeah. stage races in the United States. Yeah. Um, 
I just remember watching that tour de France because we're nerds and we watch three weeks of racing every day uh, in July. And, uh, and I remember the comments being like, like, look, (laughs) yeah, no, it was, it was uh, like, look at the, look at the black light. He's from Africa too. Like, look at what we're doing. It was a strange pat on the back uh, that was just like, Oh no. You know, like, there, there are people in this world that have legs, uh, in, and uh, would do just so well within cycling if they can access it, um, but are not allowed within those areas because it's, it's not accessible. It's rich and it's expensive, and uh, you know there's a certain amount of privilege that goes with it with cycling. I mean, to those pro tour bikes are uh, usually between ten and twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, and going back to daniel takahama like he's from eritrea there's like there is very little that i have in common with him right i mean and so i do feel like when talking about blackness like we do get lumped together you know and um it's uh it's i don't know like it, it so but on the other hand i was rooting like crazy for him like because i know what it feels like to be the only one in a group right and um that was exciting to see i mean he won the he got the the mountains jersey i believe on the first or second stage and that was incredible um in that tour um and uh yeah okay so so it looks like tasabi gourmet just to kind of come back to him he's from Rwanda. Is he, wait, so he finished 26 at worlds. Um, gosh, and he never had a bike before junior worlds. See, that's incredible. So like, when you think about like what these folks have to climb through, mm. you know, just to, man, to get a fair shake. Um, it's incredible, you know, but kind of coming back to, you know, here and, you know, in the United States. And when you talk about black people in this sport, you know, obviously, you know, we have a great example here in the, in the Williams brothers and all the awesome things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I get a lot of questions about them and kind of, you know, what it feels like seeing them win national championships, et cetera. I always point back to, you know, I brought my kids to uh, nationals last year and we saw Justin Justin Williams win uh, crit nats, and my kids were just like, like he looks like you, like that's that was really important to them, you know. And um, again, like we we talked about that representation, you know, is important. And the interesting thing about them is they're doing it their own way, and you can see how the 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 way that they're doing bike racing doesn't look like the way everybody else is doing bike racing. Mm. And that to me is what really makes them interesting. And you're seeing why this is important. You know, if you want to have the same dull bike, same dull, boring bike racing, fine. Right. But if you really want to make it exciting, man, you got to bring, you know, more folks like them under the tent. So I'm hoping with, you know, um, you know, more of uh, the funds that they got, they did their, their, their GoFundMe and they raised a ton of money. So I'm interested to kind of see, you know, what they're able to do with that moving forward. But again, it's just the two, I mean, you know, when you think from national recognition, it's just the two of them right now, 
yeah. you know? And so, you know, we need more of them. Um, so anyways. Um, I, you know, likewise, um, I kind of want to point out that like for, for native people, inclusivity for whatever reason ends up looking like, um, an effort like kind of like mascots uh, a weird effort of like naming things in certain ways uh and like appropriating and like oh we appreciate your culture like look at these look at these graphics that i put on my bike and like they don't know what that right. means they don't know what tribe it comes from and so there's there's it's still invisible but ultimately ends up um it, it kind of ends up being in this really strange place of of uh, what what is often referred to as honor. Um, so in uh, cycling, there's this little race in Kansas. It's been around for um, what since 2006, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's called the Dirty Kanza. And uh, I'm going to bring James in on this because um, James is also a, uh, a journalist and and did a lot of research on this. Um, so can you recap uh, the Dirty Kanza for us? Yeah, of course. Um, so what it is, is this 200 mile uh, gravel. So it's kind of like road looking bikes, but off road, not poorly maintained roads. And it's pretty much the biggest race of that type. It's probably the biggest race in the US, if you look at it now with no tour of California. Um, so like the name of this event, uh, obviously the first part is dirty, that's pretty self-explanatory. And Greg sort of used an example, right, of how putting that in front of a word makes it a slur earlier. Um, and the second part, Konza, uh, is the name that the core nation called themselves or called themselves, right? Um, core nation, I believe, comes from, uh, it's a colonial name, I guess, or a name, one of the names that was given to them in, in government documents, um, but they called themselves Konza or Kanza. That's a pretty, and that's a pretty common thing. Like um, the, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, the Ho-Chunk um, have often been known as the Winnebago. Um, my people are called Paiute, but that's actually not our word. That's not a word we would use for ourselves. But when colonialism came into contact with indigenous peoples, they just sort of named them based on words and things that they were saying. So, sorry, I go ahead. No, I meant this, this valuable perspective. Uh, so, yeah, this this name that's given to this uh, this group of people. Um, and they, for a while, live on reservations in what is now Kansas, right? Uh, as they're sort of gradually moved uh, further and further west, right, by this sort of encroachment of European people on the plains. Uh, and they continue to move west until they sort of end up at this place called Council Grove in Kansas, which we went through in the race, right? Uh, and that was where they had their their like their sacred space and their traditions and um, and they were eventually moved off that land too moved into what was an indian territory is now oklahoma maybe it's now indian territory again i guess after the oh, yeah. court decision <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of cool um so uh the state of kansas takes its name from these uh kansas people right and so Kanza has kind of just become an, an abbreviation, I guess, uh, or like a contraction for many people in the history that they've taken the land and left the people away, right? They, they've ignored the history and they've just said, oh yeah, this place is called Kansas now and it belongs to us. Uh, and it, there's no like, and we had to kill people and violently remove them from this land so that it could belong to us. Um, and 
this sort of played into this um, this name, right? Because the race took on this name, uh, Dirty Kanza. Um, and obviously that's offensive, right? Like I think the uh, the way I had it put to me by a, a core Kanza friend was, if the race was in the Mexican hills, you wouldn't call it the Dirty Mexican, right? Mm. It, it just wouldn't. You that, that wouldn't stop. That wouldn't come out your mouth. It would stop. Uh, so for them, this was incredibly hurtful, right? Uh, and they they'd been advocating since at least 2015, when actually uh, some members of the tribe were participating in ceremony at Council Grove, so the place where they had had their land before they'd been removed. Uh, and they saw someone sort of come to watch their ceremony in a in a t-shirt with a race name and one of the the people involved was like hey what's up with this this is really really bad and uh the the person was like no i'm trying to honor you and uh the the core person was like nah, that's not that's not it like that's not how you honor people by calling them dirty especially when dirty kanza quote exactly like verbatim was used in newspapers to advocate for the removal of the core people right mm. so they've got these documentary records of that they roll up with all this to the bike race promoter and they say like the name of your race hurts us like every time we see your posters it hurts us um and one example was someone who'd given a speech at a library and walked in and seen that and just kind of been floored by it right like reminded of all the trauma that's inherent in that history uh and the race ignored them for a long time and it sort of dismissed them and used various nefarious excuses i guess is a nice way of saying it um yeah. and uh then at some point obtained a statement from the chair of the core nation after the sort of i guess unrest in the core nation rose to a point uh, such that the core nation themselves sent a notarized letter to the race organizer the race organizer responded and went to meet them, which is good. Uh, if they hadn't been gaslighting everyone else for years, it would be better. Uh, turns up, speaks to the chair of the nation as best we can work out. Maybe a couple of council members, obtains a statement of support and goes on with the name. Uh, later, some core and other indigenous and non-indigenous allies. Um, the people in many cases who had been writing Actually, they're different people. They're different non-Indigenous, Indigenous allies. Start a petition, right? There'd already been an open letter sent in 2018 uh, by something like 40 core people and allies. Uh, and that was ignored, right? So these, these women at Ciclista, uh, start, some of whom are Indigenous, some of whom are allies, start this petition. They get thousands of signatures. The race organizers come out with a statement from them and the and the core nation and it really goes after these women hard for like showing disrespect to the core nation by asking not to have a name that's a slur um and sort of things go quiet and these poor women who'd kind of tried to advocate for this name got raked over in, in the in the media and on social media and then uh we get to this current moment that we're in, right? Like with, after the murder of George Floyd, America's kind of looking at itself and waking up to this gross racial inequality. And the organizer of the race, the, one of the founders, um, posts something about like how the 
police killing of Rashad Brooks was justified and cool and like he shouldn't have taken the taser if he didn't want to be killed by someone who was interested with protecting him. Because um, the young the young man that was uh, shot in the back in Atlanta in a Wendy's parking lot. Yeah, that's yeah, that's important context um, if you're not familiar. Um, and obviously, this very quickly starts. And I know I'd send a screen grab bit to you, Greg. Uh, and you know, it just kind of levels you at first because you know, as a white person moving in a white sport but also sort of invested in making that a more inclusive space to realize that the people who are like being nice to you are only being nice to you because of the color of your skin uh, and are not in fact kind people uh, mm. and are like actively participating in racism whether or not they would acknowledge that doesn't really matter um so uh yeah. he gets i guess cancelled uh and like, you know, we can talk about cancel culture another time. I think it'd be an interesting topic, but uh, he gets canned fast. Like this goes around the internet 24 hours. He gets booted pretty quick. Uh, and this returns the attention to the name of the race, right? Because the guy who's been communicating with him is the same guy who's been uh, saying this racist stuff on his Facebook page. Um, yeah. And yeah, within a couple of days the uh the the race had acknowledged they would be like it's still problematic right they're like forming a group to investigate looking at thinking about changing their name or something like um but i've noticed that they've stopped using the name and just start using the initials in all of their statements i wish the media could do the same i find it so problematic when i see them using dk and acknowledging that that hurt someone to use yeah. the full name that's what they do with the the mascot debate where they're like it's a racial slur it's controversy but they're still saying the word redskin yeah. uh, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense it hasn't sunk in. so yeah that's the story with that i guess no so naming it. uh and and i brought this up because it's relevant right now uh in terms of like an, an indigenous issue that's happening in the outdoor industries particularly in this case the cycling industry um and uh the tokenizing of indigenous people um within the outdoor industry looks less like hiring one black guy to stand you know in a group and then saying you're diverse and looks more like um taking things that are familiar within the realm of americana which mm -hmm. is not true representation but actually um the uh based more on the perspective of non-native people and what they think native people look like. Um, so for example, I mean, think of the, the, uh, uh, the profile of the Indian on the side of the, you know, Washington football team helmet that there's this, a belief that like, that these are created to honor your people, but there's never any conversation. And, and the woman that I mentioned before that was really at the front end of the, the mascot debate, Suzanne Harjo, um, she, she, she made this really awesome statement that I heard where she said um, that, uh, you know, these people are fans of native of native people and then when native people voice their opinion and say yeah you know like that's not right they're like shut up <laughs> like that's their reaction so the tokenizing of indigenous people looks like more like appropriation and uh misplaced understanding of uh native people that's usually tied to cowboys and indians you know americana um 
And so in the case of the this race, the Dirty Konza, which is supposed to be this amazing – and James, you did that race, right? Yeah, last year. And uh, I've heard that it's just super hard and super awesome, and it'll just turn you inside out. Um, it's a very popular race, but they are literally the, – the name of their race is uh, Dirty – Cons a dirty Indian essentially um, for for the people of that space and er- and time and area, and I don't know what there is to discuss, especially right now with this national discussion. What is it that we have to discuss? Um, but that's I think a lot of what we want to bring to the table here with this podcast too is to to talk about the ins and outs of that. Um, so yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> Like we're, we are, uh, we've been doing this for a minute and we're kind of talking in general, like as an introductory, uh, you know, set of things that we're doing here so that you can know who we are. Um, you know, Adam and I are pretty stoked to be able to do this and sort of revive this under a different set of circumstances that I think are, um, actually more meaningful, uh, more meaningful to us personally. Mm-hmm. Um, not to speak for you, Adam, but, um, you know, that, that this matters to us in our lives and in our homes and with our children and in our work and, uh, all these different places. And, and so it's super exciting to be able to bring this to the forefront. Yeah. You nailed it. I mean, we're only doing this because we care, you know, I think that, you just can't, you you can't, you can't survive doing this if you don't. Right. And I think that, um, that's, that's, what's really cool about, you know, what we're doing, um, is, uh, you know, it's coming from an authentic, genuine, honest place, like these conversations, that's where they're, that's where they're coming from. And, um, you know, we're not trying to push anybody else's agenda. We're not, you know, um, you know, it's just us, you know? And so, um, that's, what's exciting. You know? Yeah. Um, I think I want to, if it's all right, I'd like to share one more story, uh, before we sign off. Um, when I first moved here to Colorado, uh, I had this really beautiful, um, uh, hard tail that, uh, was a, uh, specialized stump jumper, uh it was carbon hardtail like and they're they're the geometry on those things are like super cool because they're like thin but you know they're still super stiff and i loved riding that thing and i was at a park in colorado springs nearby and uh when i was there um my hair was braided so it was pretty long and you know you're out riding your mountain bikes you get dirty and uh, i was riding back to my car and there was these two older women and uh one of them said oh like that's an indian like i didn't know that there were indians here like uh you know they and they were just they were so seemingly disgusted by it and um you know it's really easy for us to say uh like that this is offensive or that this is terrible and um and it's easy to sort of be caught off guard by those things as well um in this moment for some reason i believed that uh i had i had the moment because they 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 were talking and side-eyeing me but they were also kind of um like uh there was a little bit of fear there for some reason (laughs) and uh and so i took this really odd and awkward moment where they kind of walked near me as i was loading my bike uh back into my car and i'm here i'm i'm about six foot four uh i'm over 200 pounds i'm a big guy 
and uh, you know, dirt on my face and, you know, hairs a little bit frayed. And I just turned around and just sort of did that classic Hulk pose <laughs> and just was like, you know, just like screaming at these, they screamed <laughs> and like rushed away. And it was just like, these little moments of being like, you know what, this is a really crappy situation, but it's also kind of funny. Uh, let's scare these two little old ladies and just, uh, you know, cement their fear uh, in a really funny way. Wow. That's what it's like to be black and brown in the outside industry. <laughs> That's deep, man. <laughs> you know, we got to find some humor in some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of messing with people. I'm not going to lie. You? you got anything else you want to say for this uh, this inaugural episode, Adam? No. <laughs> no, that's Fair not enough. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now, I do, again, I want to tease out the George Clinton story. I'm not going to tell it on this podcast. You'll get it on the next one. Um, I'm going to work on my teases. They're going to get better. But um, it's something that you want to hang out for i love it uh i think you'll find adam and, and i both share this um we uh we love music and uh we love riding our bikes we love going camping and going outside we love our families we love our jobs um but uh, also love learning and love uh kind of wrapping our heads around some of the things that we're talking about especially right now it's uh it's an incredible time to be learning some incredible things um, and I also am hoping that we can, as we arrive at some of these places, come up with some ideas with how to take it to the next place and take it to the next level. We're excited about some of the people that we're talking about having on here um, that are coming from all walks of life, different identities and uh, having different experiences within various aspects of the outdoor industry. And, um, and really talking about like who's making a difference and who isn't making a difference and what we can do to be better and uh, hold each other accountable for things. Um, and that said, uh, I think that uh, we can both say that there may be some things that we don't understand and that we don't, uh, that we can't articulate or that we are learning um, because of our age and because of where we're from. I don't know about you, but um, I sometimes fall in the trap of binary uh, talk mm -hmm. um, in terms of men and women. Yep. Uh, I fully recognize that there are numerous spectrums that exist with those. And I'm trying my best to not be so binary in the way that I talk, but it's, it's hard. You have a lifetime of, uh, of sort of speaking in that way. Um, we want to be inclusive and we want to make space for all kinds of people to express those things in this space. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think, really important. Um, so that said, we appreciate you joining us and uh, you can actually send us an email to the outside pod at gmail.com. Uh, we've got a website as well, um, which is uh, uh, from the outside podcast.com. And uh, we're just hoping to really um, continue to grow this. Um, we're hoping to do this uh, twice a month. Um, we'll see what happens because uh, I'm doing murals all summer, man. <laughs> like it's just nonstop. Also, I have five kids. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, <laughs> but we're doing it, man. So 
thank you for joining us uh and uh please feel free to reach out if you have any comments or questions or even suggestions uh, we're happy to hear it and uh hopefully our social media will be up uh as well do, do we have social media adam we do have social media but i think we're we're staging right yes we're still staging um getting those set up uh but yeah we'll um we'll get those going on the next pod and uh share uh those spaces where um we can interact with our listeners all right thanks for joining us uh i'm greg and i'm adam we're listening to from the outside